Hungry Trilobite podcast would like to start by acknowledging SoonerCon. The longest-running pop culture con in Oklahoma has a new look, a new mascot, and a fantastic guest list. Join us in Norman, Oklahoma, June 30th through July 2nd, 2023, and meet celebrities such as Billy West, John Scalzi, Erica Harlicker, and John Swayze. Visit SoonerCon.com to reserve your membership. Welcome to today's episode of the Hungry Trilobite Podcast. My name is Aaron Bossig, and I'm going to be your host. One thing I truly love is finding an indie comic project where there's a fresh new spin on a very classic idea. Mike Dolce has a really, really neat idea for his comic, Sire, and I want to talk about that right now. On tap today, we have Mike Dolce. How are you doing this fine day? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to have you here. I love comics, and you are a comic creator, bar none. I love your work. Um, and you've got a new work coming out that you're marking as being a tribute to, well, you're, you're mar- pushing as a tribute to 90s comics. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's actually a comic book that's, uh, well, it's been near and dear to my heart, first of all. And second of all, it's, it's actually been... Uh, around for a while, but now uh, Dren Productions is picking it up and putting it out, and um, uh, we're actually re-releasing the first three issues as a trade, which has never been done before. Uh, it's called the Sire Origins, S-I-R-E, and um, yeah, it is. It is. If you would, if you enjoyed '90s style comic books, um, you know, superhero books, Marvel, DC, you know, we're talking about like early '90s, even like late '80s, that kind of stuff. Uh, this is definitely a book for you. This is this is definitely, you know, the the kind of series that you are, um, you know, you're gonna enjoy. Um, it's about a superhero forced by his own costume to fight evil, kind of like having a spider sense, but instead of warning him of danger, actually puts him in danger. And he doesn't know how he got the costume, doesn't know why it's making him do what it does, and worst of all, is he can't take it off. He's trapped inside. And so we've had a lot of heroes that get their abilities from their costume in one way or another, but in yep. this case, he's actually being compelled by the costume itself. Is the costume sentient? Or is that a spoiler? Uh, it's not a spoiler, but but yeah, let's you know it's it's part of the mystery he's got to unravel. So um, you know, through the course of of this issue of of the of this trade in particular, he is kind of just trying to really hold on for dear life because everything's kind of happening really fast. Uh, these you know supervillains are actually being drawn to him uh, as well, and that's something he that's not you know accidental. And um, it was kind of my answer to the question of like, you know, if I'd really, if, if let's say you got superpowers or a super suit or whatever the case is, you know, would you really go out and patrol? Would you really go out and actually do all this stuff? And my answer would be no, I'd, I'd go on TV or, or in these days, you know, I'd go on social media and start posting stuff immediately, right? And try to make a lot of money or try to be famous. Um, and in this case, the, the costume and the powers themselves that all these, these heroes and villains, you know, kind of possess are kind of forcing them into the superhero universe uh that that we grew up kind of enjoying and and so now they're kind of acting out the part and they don't know why so um that is the central mystery to it and um you know so what the suit is exactly what it's connected to um there is you know an alien energy force that has kind of hit earth at the same time so we'll we'll leave it at that and see how it goes fair enough i'm not in the business of giving spoilers so i'm happy to leave it there i do have to say though i'm curious that you put so much love and affection toward 90s comics because i'm a huge fan of 90s comics that's the era i grew up in but talking yeah 
talking with everybody else, it seems like it's very popular to rag on that particular style of comic. And is that your experience? You know what? I, I don't know. Maybe it's just because I'm old and, and all my, my circle has traveled with me, but that's what we all grew up on. So, you know, mm -hmm. if it's if it's um, if it's new comic book, you know, readers, I don't know. I think they would get a kick out of it. I feel like everything 90s is new now, uh, even though that's kind of scary for me because I grew up in the 90s. So, uh, I, I you know, everyone's wearing Nirvana T-shirts and, you know, I was in a bar once and recently and this girl had to be maybe 21, 22 years old. And, you know, she goes to the jukebox and like. Alice in Chains, it's Pearl Jam, it's Green Day, and it's like, I'm like, oh, you like this? She's like, oh, I love all, oh, I love the 90s stuff, you know, and the, the early 90s was such an era of creativity and music and comic books in television, movies, that, you know, I don't know, I, I you know what, if, if people are down on it, it's not been my experience, um, and if people are down on that era of superhero, I don't know, I think people my age, uh, your age, you know, around this, and I would even say within the last, you know, a 10 year, you know, back window, you know, people going into their late twenties, early thirties, they're fascinated by the nineties. If I feel like, I feel like this is the time, you know, if anything, um, I think people were upset with maybe like the big boobs and stuff like that, but it hasn't really changed. I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't see any difference now than, you know, than, than 30 years ago with that. Um, and, um, you know, I don't know. I grew up on the Claremont stuff. I grew up on, you know, David Michelini's run on, on Amazing Spider-Man and, and Gary Conway's run on Amazing Spider-Man and, and I'm Fabian Nicieza, who I've, I've gotten, you know, to become friends with, uh, you know, through through my course of, the, of being within the industry. And, you know, the, I don't know, it was it was it was a great time to read comic books. I mean, it was there was no better time. I mean, uh, you know, the art was jumping off the page um, and that's what we definitely with Dan Leister on the book tried to replicate with Talon Caldwell on covers, uh, you know, I don't know. I feel like I feel like um, it was not my experience, and 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 if it is, you know, so be it. I don't think I don't think any of those people ragging on it. I feel like they're not the ones buying comic books these days anyway in the comic book stores. Oh, I thank you. I I would agree completely that your art nails that particular style because that is something that, as somebody who still goes to the comic store and buys comics, yeah. I don't often see that style that I'm looking for. I see styles I like. I'm not down yeah. on what's out there, but I do miss that. It's it. There's a well, I'm not an artist, so I don't have the, the terms to describe what I would like to sure. see. But uh, there's there's a very a much more basic use of color, not nearly as much shading as we've grown accustomed to. The texturing not nearly there, but the I, the image and impression you get from it is unmistakable. Yeah, no, absolutely, and that's I mean. Look, I can still remember when, uh, you know, you get those three pack of X-Men comics in like a Toys R Us, you know, like buying, buying, what's Toys R Us, right? Uh, you know, uh, buying this kind of stuff. And I just remember seeing Uncanny X-Men 280 um, just always stands out in my mind. That Jim Lee cover, you know, Cyclops is holding Professor Xavier and he's shooting, you know, his, his optic blast in the sky. He's, Xavier's all cut up in the anguish. And it's like, man, I was 10 years old and it was just like, holy cow, this is. Like it just jumped out of me. It was un it was unreal. Um, you know, X Force number one, seeing that I'd never bought an X Men book before X Force number one. I just saw the the cover with Cable on it, and I was like, man, I I gotta I gotta check this out. You know, and and um, you know, it, it was just a great time to be, you know, a kid, and it was a great time to to you know to be into comic books. And one of the things that gets dipped on a lot are the the quintessential hollow foil covers. That was all the rage for a couple of years. It became yep. a cliche, and and 
you know, I bought a few of them like anybody else. I'm not going to say I didn't. But the fact is they existed because people were buying enough and they were enjoying them enough. Somebody wanted to raise the bar. That's not a bad thing. Wait, so so you know what's really funny, though, and what's amazing about it, right? So you circle now to, you know, 30 years later, and Kickstarter is just the number two producer of comic books, period, right? Or, or the number two revenue. I might even be number one, I mean, at this point, right? How many how many comics have been Kickstarted? Um, and that's the stuff that gets your Kickstarter over the top is the hollow foil covers, the special covers, the variant covers, and things like that. So, so Old is new, my man. Everything is uh, everything kind of goes around in a cycle, and it's and it's it's right back to where it was. It's just yeah. on a Kickstarter scale now. There's not no such thing as a bad idea. It just might not be the right time. Yeah, you're trying yeah. to sell a hollow foil cover in 1993. You're gonna have a good time in 2003. Yeah. Not so much. I really think about that too. If I was a, if it, you know, it's funny. I was I was I was a kid in a, during a good time, but if I was a creator in let's say 1990 and just put out my own superhero book i'd be rich mm -hmm. like i would mm -hmm. literally i would literally have made a million dollars like that's how insane that time was i mean i remember going to like my drugstore uh and i'm not talking about like finding stuff on the racks because we had stuff on the racks first of all stuff was on the racks everywhere which is which i miss uh, you know i miss that as being a kid i guess you don't need that now because you can just go click an app now and you get everything but you know i, I miss going into like stationary stores that's where i picked up my first comic book was a stationary store um, but in my local drugstore, they had a wall of comic books, and it wasn't – it was stuff that was, like, priced at, like, hundreds of dollars. Like, the all the Valiant stuff was up there. Um, the X-Men stuff was up there. The Spider-Man stuff, the McFarlane Spider-Man, you know, run was up there. You know, this is a drugstore. It's not a comic book store. You know, that's how crazed everything was in the marketplace. And I remember being a kid, you know, looking up at some of these things or, or going to my local comic book store and seeing – you know, the high price stuff on the wall um, and thinking like, oh, man, one day I want to I want to own some of these books that I missed out. You know, I, I was a little too late for the Rob Liefeld run. I came in at X-Force number one. So his New Mutant stuff I couldn't get. I, the irony is I, I went on Amazon la like during COVID because, you know, during COVID, we're like looking for stuff to do. I, I click completed my entire New Mutants collection, you know, for like 20, 30 bucks at that point. So it's just kind of funny, with the exception of Deadpool, uh, Deadpool's first appearance, but and Cable's first appearance, but everything else in between, you know, stuff that used to go for 50, 60, 70 bucks, you know, back in 1991, which that's a big deal back then. Um, you know, I was able to collect it, but that's that's what the industry was, man. It was it was it was a crazy time. I'd, I'd be I'd be a millionaire right now if uh, if I'd have, if I was a creator back then, but I'd be super super old now. So you know, well, hey. But you have a whole lot ahead of you now, too. I mean, you've got this project that you're you're pushing now. What kind of legs do you think it has? Is this something that you can do for six to ten issues, or is this something that could be an ongoing run for years and years? Oh, well, see, that's, that's the cool part about it. So we released um, – I actually was published under um, – the company was actually called Aftershock, but it wasn't the Aftershock that we knew. Um, it was a division of After Hours Press. And so we put six issues out um, back in 2006 to 2008. And um, we did two miniseries, Sire and Sire Revelations. Both will be in Diamond. Sire Origins is the first three issues. Sire Revelations will be out in September. Um, you know, will be out in September. Uh, it'll be in the, I'm trying to think of like the July previews. Um, and then I ended up going on to doing books at Image Comics. Um, I, did, I colored a book called M Theory, uh, and that got me connected to Jim Valentino. And then I, I uh, pitched him a book called Descendant. Uh, came out in 2009, so I co-created that with uh, with my friend Marcus Perry. I was the co-writer, the co-creator, and the, and the uh, colorist on that as well. Um, 
And then around like 2012 or so, um, you know, I was looking for the next thing and people, you know, I would go to the conventions and I'd be selling stuff that I was doing. I did some stuff for Xenoscope in between there as well too. And uh, people kept asking like, when's the next issue of Sire coming out? And I said, you know, I left it after issue six to where you get a beginning, middle and end, but there's so much more. There's so much more um, to the story. And I was like, you know what? I might as well pick it back up again. Um, I put out an issue seven and that's when I started dabbling in, in, in Kickstarter. So around like 2014, 2015, we started putting out issue seven. We put out issue eight. We put out, I think issue nine was the first one we actually kickstarted. We did an issue seven and issue eight. Um, and I kind of drew some of it at that point. Um, I, you know, and I also had another artist kind of working with me, you know, kind of just, you know, just piecemeal, you know, where I, where I could afford it here and there. Uh, but then we started moving on to Kickstarter and, um, and now, you know, we just finished up the, the volume three trade on Kickstarter. So this thing already, you know, goes till issue 13 for sure. And, um, it'll be released as trades in the stores though. I don't know what I'm going to do with the single issues. I think the single issues are going to be kickstarted and then we're going to, we're going to release the trades, uh, in diamond. And, and I, when I say, I don't know, like, we don't know, it's, it's really just, it's all up to me and what I decide at this point, I'm definitely just doing trades for the stuff that's already been released in diamond because I don't want I don't need to, to go back and do that. Um, and I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be kickstarted single issues, digital single issues. And, um, and we'll kick and we'll, we'll retail the trades, um, you know, in the stores and stuff like that, as far as how long it can go. So I, I created this character in sixth grade. Uh, you know, I think we did, I did what everyone does at that age. They take a piece of paper, they fold them together, they staple them, uh, and they make issues. And between sixth to eighth grade, I made like 30 issues of that comic. Wow. And around like 32, it was, it was funny. It was like around an issue. I forget which number exactly. I think it was like, it might even be 38. You know, I'm in high school at this point, and I'm starting to get a little more mature, a little more, you know, I'm into all these different things like Sin City and the Scott McDaniel run on Daredevil with DJ Chichester. And, you know, I, you know, I read Watchmen for the first time. And, you know, so it's like, you know, my, my, my maturity level kind of hit a point where I'm like, you know, I need to kind of do something better. Because really, it just was criminals broke into his house. He found a suit. And he, you know, in his attic and he went out and he started fighting crime. Like that was originally like the whole plot. That's mm -hmm. what you do when you're 10 years old, you know, you're, right. you know, you're, you're not really thinking what it is. And so I started creating this massive backstory around, you know, the costume and his powers and all this other stuff that was going on and around issue 50. And I just kept doing them through high school. Um, or it was actually around issue 60 where I'm like, man, you know, I was telling, you know, I used to make them and I used to just, just passed out the passed around the one issue to like my little circle of friends to read and they would read them and give them back to me. And, um, you know, I'd say, Hey, what do you think? And they're like, yeah, I think this is really cool. And I said, yeah, I think there's a story here and leaving high school. Like I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I, I, I wanted to make comics. Like that was it. Like, you know, that's all I ever wanted to do. And I wanted to tell this story. And so I kept making them through college. Um, I have a hundred issues. It's a beginning, middle and end. Uh, and so, what I'm targeting to do is around if I, I in my head, I feel like I can sync I can sync up issues 25 of the sire with issue 60 of my original little book. And then from then on, I actually reread all my I reread everything a couple years ago when I was because I was getting ready for this new trade and issue 61 to 100. Like I can almost translate verbatim. Like I actually read it. I go, this is really good. <laughs> like As if I didn't write them. I honestly I was reading them as a fan. I wrote them. 20 years ago and i'm like man this is actually so i so you know to answer your question in the longest way possible i, I you know, this thing can definitely keep going 
uh, and it's and it's got an it's an epic superhero story. And the one thing I'm I'm starting to realize is I have to get on this because I'm finding you know bits and pieces of things I wanted to do are are getting told through other stories. You know, like Moon Knight comes to example. People are like, oh, it's like Moon Knight, and I'm like, yeah, it's like Moon Knight, except I came out with mine 15 years ago. Uh, yeah, it's got it's got certain you know it's got a piece of that. Yeah, all right, I gotta I gotta. Oh, yep. Blue Beetle now, you know, that came out after what I did and, and you know, what they're doing with Venom now. And it's like, all right, I got to get this story out there because if I don't, someone's going to beat me to it at this point. And I'm going to look at this and I'm, I had a very similar conversation over dinner with another creator not too long ago. And I really want to get your opinion on this. And I'm not sure mm -hmm. there's a right or wrong answer, but when you're looking at these kinds of Kickstarters, you have to ask these questions. Like sure. as, as a reader, the trade paperbacks are amazing because, you know, you can just throw it in there. You don't feel too bad if it gets a little dinged up. It's really handy to pack all those stories into one volume. Yeah. As a collector, I have this compulsion to want all those individual issues in their bags yep. with their boards in the box. And is there really a reason to have those individual issues in this day and age besides that emotional need for me to have those comics? Um. Well, I mean, I'll tell you one thing. If you're talking to a retailer, they will tell you that's their lifeblood. Okay, uh, those, that, those that's a good reason. Actually keep them in business because they, they wouldn't, they, I don't, they really wouldn't make the kind of money that they would make on a on a month-to-month -month basis, you know, cash flow to keep them going. Uh, trades tend to just kind of, you know, are icing on the cake. And they're icing on the cake for creators too, ironically enough, in terms of like money. I remember um, a good friend of mine, Ryan Bodenheim, rest in peace, he, um, you know, he's an artist at Marvel, but he was also doing stuff with, with Hickman and Image, and he was telling me, he's like, yeah, you know, you kind of float from issue to issue, but then once the trade comes in, you know, you're getting paid for work you already did, and that's where, you, as an artist, you actually made your money. Um, you know, I mean, he got paid for his individual issues too, but, you know, again, the ability to make what's called passive income, you know, is kind of huge. Um, I think also on the Kickstarter end of things, it's huge for, it's huge for us creators as well too, because... So I actually did the last Sire Kickstarter as a trade, which, which, which I goofed for two reasons. One, I wanted to draw the whole thing myself. Um, it was COVID, so I was like, yeah, I'm feeling ambitious. And I can do this. But, but as it turned out, I could not. Uh, so I ended up having to hire artists. So I ended up, all, all said and done, I probably lost money on that. Uh, which, again, I'm, it's, look, it's, 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 a, it's a labor of love. It's a passion. I'm not, I'm not like, upset about that. Um, but going forward, I'm like, no, no, no. And like, and, and publisher of, of Dren, James Mossy and I were like, you know, he's, he's a good friend of mine from college too. He was like, he's like, no, we, we do the single issues. We do the single issues on Kickstarter and then we do the trade, you know, the single issues fuel the trade. And so there is a motivating factor for that. Plus, you know, we sell, we sell them digitally on, on the website as well too. And, um, you know, that's a, that's again, that's just more passive income. I think it's just, it's, it's a, it's a way to do it. And to make comics in a way that's that's both palatable um, on both ends, right? So as the reader, you know, you get that monthly fix because otherwise it's it's you know it, it's three months in between each trade if you're lucky, you know. So that so there's there is there is some need for it. I think there is a need for it. I don't disagree with you though when it comes to like bookstores and things like that. You know, at the end of the day, people are just going to go there and they're just going to pick it up. Uh, but don't forget the digital aspect to it. I think. You know, again, putting stuff out on a regular basis, um, you know, it can't be taken for granted. There was a time I was really into the, the purest aspect of I want the original comic and the, the first print. And then there's still a lot of that in me. But mm -hmm. I've come to appreciate so much how 
the new readers are helped by having all the options and the industry is helped by having all the options and the creators yeah. are helped by having all the options. I want all those voices at the table. Yeah, well, I, I agree. And I, you know, honestly, that's kind of, that's how, what, what's kind of nice about today, right? I mean, you have, it's, it's an a la carte menu at this point. You know, if you want to collect the single issues, I got people that come up to me and, and they're like, I will only buy the single issues just like you. They're like, I don't want to touch a trade. I want the floppies. That's what I want. And that's what they order. Uh, I give that as an I gave that as an option, and I had a few people actually back that reward for just the floppies. So, kind of neat. I mean, I like I like the floppies. I I I will confess though, um, for storage purposes and for also just uh, reading a, a full complete story. I've 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 also personally kind of gone toward the trades more. But I got to be honest, I you know I still have a pull list. I still put you know I still pick up. Spider-Man and, you know, uh, some of the, you know, a couple X books here and there and, uh, you know, Saga and things like that. And, and I, I still appreciate the floppies, too. I, I don't know. I don't think that'll ever go away. Maybe the next generation, you know, won't have the same kind of relationship that we have with it. Yeah, I, that's where we come back to the idea of having the comics in the drugstore and on the rack, because that, when that is the case, when that's your introduction to them, when that's what you're looking for and the trades are not even on your radar, that's going to be what you go back to. And if our generation that's, that we're seeing now isn't looking for that, I don't know where that leads. Yeah. What was your first comic you picked up? And where did you pick it up? I don't know, but I would almost guess based on what I remember from that time in my life, it was probably at the grocery store. Mm -hmm. um, specifically, it was probably at Lanco. And it would have been on a spinner rack, most yeah. likely near the greeting card aisle. Yeah, um, I probably would have gotten something like Heathcliff or Alf because those okay. are my oldest and most beat up comics. So I'm guessing one of those was first. Yeah. Oh, that's you know, it's funny you mentioned that, actually, because now I'm thinking to myself, you're actually going to change my my longtime answer of what was my first comic. The first comic book that I remember, I, I do remember picking up some Archie's, but the digests, you know, mm -hmm. at the supermarket because they're right, right in the stand there. So so technically, I guess that would technically be my first comic book. But my first like real floppy experience though was like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the Archie series, number five. I was huge into that cartoon show. I mean, mm -hmm. I, you know, absolutely loved it. It had the Man Ray on it. I actually just read all those old Archie comics to my son. He loved it. So that was kind of cool. Um, but but I remember that, but that was at a stationery store. And then I remember on Sunday mornings, you know, we go to church, it was like 8.30 church. And then we go to Grand Union afterwards, and there was the magazine rack, and the magazine rack just had tons of of Marvel and DC comic books, and you know that was like that was like my incentive. Like, yeah, I want to I want to go to the grocery store with you, and then I would just hang out at the magazine rack, and I'd pick up you know one or two comics and bring them home, and you know it was it was cool. Like it was a it was it'll never happen again. We just we have too much technology now, so um, you know I mean it. And you know, again, you can't you can't miss something you never had. So I don't think the new generation is going to miss anything because they don't they don't know what they're missing. Um, but we can look back and go, man, that was that was a great time to be a kid. And I distinctly remember I was not really into Archie floppies. Mm -hmm. I was. It just I never picked one up. I, I I inherited a few and read them, but the Archie Digest were yeah. fantastic road trip material. I would always grab one of those big fatties for a road trip that would last six, seven, eight hours because that yep. would get me through the whole trip. Yep. And that, that was my sole use for them. I, they, they were a, a value proposition. Absolutely. No, I agree with you. Yeah, that's 
That's true too. And you know, you know what we used to do too? Uh, we used to go to the library and we used to take out like, I mean, they had a lot of the old like Stanley, Jack Kirby, Stanley, Steve Dicko, you know, comics all like in like these collectors. They weren't graphic novels though. They were like the history of comics or whatever. And I used to, mm -hmm. I used to get, <clears throat> I remember actually having my mom like photocopy some of the pages and I got Captain America number one, like somehow out of like a, out of like a, you know, comic book history book, you know, it was, and it was, yeah, it was just anywhere we could get it, you know, I mean, that's, you know, that's kind of the beauty, I, I, you know, like, I feel like this with Netflix right now, or any of the streaming services, right, like, you give me everything, I want to watch nothing, you know, you make things, you know, very rare, or, or harder to get, and it becomes, like, just more of a prize to get, and, and back then, to get your comic book fix, you know, it was, go to the comic book store every, you know, I guess back then it was Tuesday, but, um, for me, it was like Wednesday or Thursday, I'd be there and the new books would be there. And, um, and that was a huge thing, but, but anywhere, like give me a grand union, a stationary store, a library, you know, anything, anywhere I can get my hands on it. You know, it was, it was drive me around dad and, and find, and find me a place for it. I will confess something that what you just said about, if you give me everything, I want nothing is a huge part of why this podcast exists. Because as somebody who loves this stuff and has always loved this stuff, I realized between the apps on my phone and a quick trip to Amazon, I can't get anything I want. And that paralyzes me. But doing this show gives me the chance to reach out to the creators that I know are there, making yeah. the stuff that I know I'd like if I just knew it existed and it gets exactly. put in my lap. No, I, and you know what? There's something to be said about that. I mean, there's something about, you know, the the, the couriers of good things to listen to. I mean, that was something about listening to the radio that was great too, uh, because you could listen and, and discover a new band or discover a new song. You know, now again, there's, I mean, it's, it's amazing. You have, as a, as a comic book creator or musician, an artist, you have a, like a million ways to get your stuff out there and that's awesome. But you also are now competing with a million other, you know, people out there. And that's something I'm, I'm, I'm actually eternally grateful that I was at least able to get Sire out, you know, in the 2000s first in order to kind of establish the identity of the brand of the character. Um, because I look, I got, it's, it's kind of cool. I've got folks that came up to me just as recently as C2E2 and they're like, man, I bought this when I was 12. And I'm like, that's awesome. You know, and you're, you're, you know, you're, you're in your twenties now. So that's kind of cool. Like, um, you know, that people, people still remember it and it gives me a little bit of an edge over everyone else out there. Who's kind of, you know, and, and obviously look, I have a, I have a decent resume as well too. So, you know, that's a good thing, but, um, you know, but that being said, yeah, it's, it's, it just helps. It just helps that it's, that it's kind of been out there already because otherwise it's just a sea of everything. And, uh, and yeah, like I said, I will read nothing <laughs> if that happens. And as much as I am thankful for all the things we do have and all the options we do have, I want to make sure people see stuff like your work there. So I'm going to put everything that you have on the show notes on my website, AaronBossley.com. Oh, want that to be a highway straight to your stuff. Uh, Michael, where can people follow your adventures on the web? Oh, yeah, plenty of places. Um, you know, I'm active on uh, on all the social media. You can go, um, you know, Facebook, it's at Sire Studios. That's one word. Uh, Twitter is Sire underscore studios because somebody's got that name in 2009 and has never tweeted out since then, but will not give it up. So I can't seem to get that one back. Uh, Instagram, Sire Studios, YouTube, at Sire Studios. You can get all my stuff at sirestudiosinc.com. That's sirestudiosinc.com. And then uh, Dren Productions. Go check out what Dren's going on. I have another book with Dren as well, too, called Epicenter. 
Um, and that uh, we just kickstarted the first issue a little while ago. We're going to kickstart the rest of the series through them as well, too. Um, and Plan 59, number one through three, is in stores now. Actually, well, no. Issue one just hit stores. Number two is hitting uh, in a couple weeks. And issue three should be there in a, in a couple weeks as well, too. So check it out. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Michael. I'd be glad to have you back anytime. Anytime. Thank you so much. I would like to thank Mike for being my guest today, and I would like to thank you for listening. I have had a lot of success in bringing on independent comic creators, but I am not done yet, not by a long shot. I have said before, I really want to reach out and lift up independent creators of comics, of games, of film. So if you're into this, if you have a project that you want to talk about, please reach out to me at bossigpodcast.yahoo.com. You can subscribe to this show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time.